0: Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Lauren Kaufman, the president of the Young Women's Alliance, and Lauren Bijel, the vice president of diversity, equity, and belonging of the Young Women's Alliance. Uh, Bijel, Lauren, thank you both very much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having us. We're really excited. Yeah, It's great to be here.
0: So, Lauren, I'm going to ask you to start us off with just a little bit of background about your mission work. What is the Young Women's Alliance? Why are you out there doing community?
1: Yeah, thank you. So the Young Women's Alliance is a local Austin nonprofit, and we are dedicated to empowering the next generation of women leaders in our community. We do this through a variety of different ways, uh, whether it be our programming, um, different types of training or workshops, uh, leadership development, skill building. We also are uh, very active in the community and do a lot of volunteer work. We have a mentorship program that um, helps build uh, future leaders. And then um, we also do a lot of uh, diversity, equity, and belonging work as well, which is uh, one of the reasons we have Bijal here. But just to quickly give you a little overview of kind of what the organization looks like in the structure, we currently have almost 600 members. These uh, Our members typically are ages 25 to 40, although we don't have um, restrictions on who can join. Well, they do have to be above 21, but that's it. Um, our members tend to be um, either career-focused or community-focused. We really um, like to see ourselves as change makers in the community. We have grown um We've almost doubled in size and membership in the past seven months. It's just really, yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, We're just really excited to have all these amazing people in the organization. And um, we are entirely volunteer run organizations. So I have 16 board of directors underneath me and then they almost all of them have committees. So this could be anything from the events committee to the membership um, development and within those committees are over 80 chairs. So
0: wow.
1: yeah, the 100 of us in the leadership team are really responsible for every facet of running the organization. And, you know, it's amazing because all of us, you know, are balancing careers, families, lives, and everyone gives this time to volunteer back to the organization to run it. And so I think it's just a really unique and special part of our organization, but these folks are getting hands-on leadership experience and training in a very low pressure environment that they wouldn't otherwise, or they might not otherwise have in their careers. So that's just a little bit about the organization and the structure, but one of our focuses this past year has really been our uh, diversity, equity, and belonging initiatives. I think that, you know, almost everyone nowadays has some sort of DI or DB statement on their website. And we really wanted to make sure we, you know, weren't just talking the talk, but also walking the walk. And so uh, this past year, we added our VP of diversity, equity, and belonging uh, board member to our board um, board slate and uh, Bijal, and I just feel unbelievably lucky we have her there, um, but she's overseen our DEB efforts within the organization we've actually been spending the last six or seven months building out an entire three-year uh, DEB strategic plan. And so, yeah, Bijal, would you want to elaborate a little bit on the work that you've been doing?
2: Yeah, sure thing. Thanks, Lauren. So it's been really incredible to step into this role. As Lauren mentioned, this is the first year that my role, the Vice President of Diversity, Equity and Belonging, or VP of DEB for short, um, has been on the board. And we've been really focused and committed to expanding the scope of what our commitment to diversity, equity and belonging is. Uh, It's been great to work with the consultant team from heuristic to develop a three-year strategic plan. And really a part of what I've been focusing on is how can we better empower our fellow board members and our committee chairs. So those hundred plus leaders that Lauren mentioned to integrate uh, diversity, equity, and belonging into their work. So as we think about the membership vice president and their committee or the development vice president and their committee, the events vice president and their committee, how do we make sure that they have uh, an understanding of where our vision, our accountability, our commitment is around diversity, equity, and belonging, and then partnering with them to figure out how can we help them bring this lens to all the work that they're doing in providing value and benefit to our members. Uh, One of the most remarkable things I'll share is You know, diversity, equity, and belonging work, it can be slow, it can be uncomfortable at times, Mm. and it's been great to see how open our leadership team, our board, our chairs, our committee members have been as we drive some of this work forward. So uh, I think we're just on the start of this journey and looking forward to bringing some of that plan to life over the next several years.
0: Well, lots to talk about, but I think that the first thing that uh, piqued interest about your work uh, when your colleague fabiana reached out to say hey let's let's have a conversation is this idea of your your overall mission <clears throat> excuse me at the young women's Alliance about supporting people in their careers, coming up building networks is used to be delivered a little bit differently pre pandemic and now There's a a different way of thinking about how does this change in a global pandemic, Uh, how do you deliver services to a group of people who are trying to build that that connection and that power within themselves, but also, you know, what might be changed permanently moving forward in all of those things, especially with that um, belonging focus Kind of in there. And I, I want to mention specifically, I think that there's so much uh, happening in anybody coming into the workforce or, or that is newer in the workforce uh, out there doing their work in the world, their missions, whatever it may be, feeling a little bit more isolated, a little bit more away from support. And uh, it seems like your mission has always been about trying to challenge that, but that is a different ballgame the last couple of years. So how do you look back at what you've been learning and how do you kind of start thinking about what does that change for your work moving forward?
1: Yeah, that's a great question on, you know, where we are now. And I think, you know, it's important to discuss where we were two years ago and kind of what our offering was to our members then. So to paint the picture, I mean, we did everything in person, you know, so We have a speaker series every month that's kind of like our general assembly meeting for all of our members. We had in-person workshops, um, you know, in-person happy hours, just everything was in person. I remember our um, president at the time, she uh, did one of the board meetings from Zoom and we were all like, what is this? What are you doing? It seems so futuristic. And obviously now it's you know how life is. So once COVID hit, it really, we were, it was very nerve wracking um, in terms of thinking about the future of the organization, because we had depended so much on that in-person connection. And, you know, that's, we ask our members when they join, why did you join? And the majority, just year after year, is I'm looking for a connection in the community. So, what we did, and um, we decided to actually get uh, on Slack, and not sure if you're familiar with Slack. It took mm-hmm. me a little while to adopt it, but we have all of our 600 members, almost all of them on Slack. And we have just different channels that they can all um, talk about various things. We actually just created one um, for traveling recommendations. And through Slack, I mean, we were blown away at how much people adopted it, how often they used it, the connections they were making. So I think it was really a right spot in a lot of people's lives when they were just, you know, very isolated and lonely. You know, those first six, eight months were just so incredibly lonely. Um, we also had to change our programming a lot. So pre-pandemic, our in-person speaker series were getting close to a hundred members at them. And keep in mind, we had about 300 members at that time. So that's, that's a really good ratio. Sure. Once we turned our speaker series into virtual, we were lucky to get 30, 40 people. I mean, you know, we were all so zoomed out at that point. So what we decided to do was pivot a little bit and turn our program programming more into workshop style. So we would do things like the stock market 101 or how to enhance your LinkedIn profile so that these women could take away actual skills um, and implement them into their careers. And so that was really impactful. I think people, and we've continued to do that. They've really enjoyed that. Uh, Bijo and I are both in Texas. So obviously, things are a little bit uh, looser here with restrictions than maybe elsewhere. So we have pivoted back to majority in-person events. Now I will say the month of January, we uh, took off from doing in-person and moved it back to virtual. So we are, you know, we try to monitor what's uh, best for the safety of our members, but we also do try to do as many events as possible that have both a virtual and in-person choice. So for instance, the board meetings, Since there's 17 of us, um, I, we always do venues where you can either choose to come in person or you can zoom in. And I think this is part of, you know, our diversity efforts is I, as a leader, I never want to make anyone feel uncomfortable to attend a board meeting. So how do I make sure that everyone, I meet them where they're at, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Um, well, let, yeah. before we move on on that, let me just ask Bijal about that part in particular, because I think that as you talk about the mission of the organization in the past being largely in-person focused, um, there may have been times when some people may have felt, uh, you know, do I belong with this group? Am I welcome here? Coming into a, an in-person meeting where they maybe don't know anybody yet, those can be challenging moments for anyone, let alone uh, younger people identifying as women are there you know, trying to figure that out. Bijal, as you do your work, do you think that there maybe were some opportunities with the remote thing that some people uh, came in to explore, you know, when maybe it would have been harder for them to do if it was in person, where they might not have been sure how welcome they felt? And how does your work kind of think back at that moment? Yeah,
2: that's an interesting question. Yeah, there's definitely a part of me that thinks about uh, Zoom has made some things more accessible and definitely maybe a little bit less intimidating for folks to come on a Zoom call and join a work- a workshop virtually uh, and maybe not have to feel like not have to have that awkward social uh, interaction if you're showing up to an event by yourself. So I think that's definitely a part of it. And I think that's a reason to emphasize what Lauren mentioned. As we think forward, you know, how this pandemic continues. Uh, I think virtual programming or an accessibility through virtual programming is going to still continue to be a part of how we think about what we provide to our members and it might turn into more of a hybrid versus mm-hmm. um, versus like all one or the other. I think the other thing that's been interesting, Lauren and I uh, and our some of our team members really love data uh, <laughs> and so we've been you know, we're not trying to over survey our members, but we do do an annual survey to gather insights from our members. We're launching a more qualitative survey soon that is looking to get a better sense of um, understanding where members feel for their sense of belonging. Um, And so I think that it's really important, what we've learned is data, whether quantitative or qualitative is important for us to, as as a leadership team, as a board to really take a look at, to say, what do our members want? What are they asking for? What do they need? And of course, we're not going to be able to make everyone happy, but how can we take a look at that data and balance our programming and our efforts to make sure that we're maximizing um, the YWA membership for as many members as we can? It's actually interesting that we had a board retreat this last weekend where we just discussed, you know, how do we revamp some of our programming? Um, You know, are the speakers we're bringing in and the structure of our, of our events bringing value to members. Uh, we really had a lot of good conversation on, as we think about programming and workshops, you know, we wanna make sure that members can take away actionable insights and incorporate that into their personal and professional lives. So I think whether our programming is a hybrid of virtual and in-person, or we're also reflecting on the content that we provide to make sure that it's most valuable for members. Um, and then one other thing I'll share uh, is, You know, you mentioned just, you know, do you think the virtual world allowed some folks to engage more because there wasn't that intimidation factor of being in person? We're also exploring, you know, how can we maybe incorporate some sort of buddy system? Uh, Do we sort of uh, have leaders or sort of legacy members of the Young Women's Alliance partner up with new members and sort of have these mini cohorts to make sure that we can make integration into different programming and events is accessible and welcoming as possible for new members. So we're definitely exploring some of those ideas too.
0: But f- presumably from the common point of you know a young women's alliance that you've got people that are identifying of um, other spaces that they go into may feel kind of othering, isolating, less supportive, whatnot, and that they're trying to build that network to build that level of support up in their lives. That if they're in a space that Um, doesn't support uh, women or or other uh, marginalized gender identities very well, that they've got a network here. If they're in a place where younger people's opinions aren't necessarily as valued as they could be, that they've got a place to come to and learn and talk through. So as you think about those folks that may have felt kind of not as connected to other spaces, whether that's work or other places in their lives, as you're helping to build that identity here, it seems like there may be this opportunity now as we're learning about how people kind of react post-pandemic to go. Some people, um, you know, maybe are better able to connect uh, because there isn't the travel time problem, for example. I mean, you want to go to a meeting, you you flip the camera on and you're at the meeting and you need to be back home and dealing with family or whatever, and you're back home dealing with family. There is isn't all those, those issues. And I think that as we're learning about that in, in these support network ways of people that have maybe not been as supportive as they could be, and they really benefit from a young women's Alliance being there in their lives. Um, that knowing that there's some learning about that is important, and we don't—I don't think yet even know what all those ways are. But as you said, you're gathering data. So, do either of you have thoughts about you know how that um, supporting uh, more marginalized identities in those spaces moves in this kind of 2022 and forward world?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, Steve. What comes to mind for me is thinking about intersectionality and mm-hmm. how we understand all the facets of our members' identities and how we make sure we keep that in mind as we build offerings for our members. Uh, there are, you know, Lauren mentioned, there's a wide range of ages within our member base. Mm-hmm. And also within that, there's just different components of uh, people's experiences. There's there's moms, there's new moms, there's, um, there's people who might work on the weekends, some might work evenings, uh, different career paths, different industries that have different expectations. And so I don't think we're ever going to maybe get a full picture of every you know, part of someone's identity, but we're actually looking to gather more of that information about our members so that we can make sure that programming is accessible. Because I absolutely agree with you. You know, Recently, we just had a a virtual workshop on Um, you know, understanding fertility. And Mm -hmm. it was great because people can just, you wrap your workday up. And yes, we don't always want to get another Zoom call, but you don't have to drive across town. um, If you have a child at home, or if you are, you know, on your way to um, something, some other equipment that you might have. I do think that having virtual programming will definitely be a part of how we continue forward and really being mindful of what are the needs that our members have based on their lifestyles and components of their identity that we as an organization need to keep in mind?
0: Lauren, do you have things you want to kind of talk a little bit about? You know, How did you decide that you wanted to be part of a Young Women's Alliance as opposed to you know a local Rotary Club or any other group that you might have tried to connect to? But where does that connection in those identities come in for you?
1: Mm, that's a great question. You know, it's funny you asked about you know women showing up to these meetings and potentially you know the in-person ones and potentially being a little intimidated I always give this example at our new member orientations of I so I joined YWA gosh about six years ago I had just moved to Austin I had no friends. It was very lovely time and so I, I did a lot of googling of you know what are organizations I can get involved here in Austin, I came across YWA. So I went to an info session and, um, it was a little intimidating to be in a room with all these, uh, women. And, but I eventually signed up and I did nothing for six months. I didn't attend one event. Um, I being totally transparent, suffer from social anxiety Mm. and think, you know, the fear of, you know, would I feel awkward or any, you know, is anyone going to talk to me? It just, it took over me. And so I wasn't able to, um, you know, push myself to do that. But I finally just started to realize that I, you know, no surprise here, I wasn't meeting any friends and I wasn't feeling satisfied. And so I made a commitment to myself that I would attend one YWA event a week. And I have such vivid memories of sitting in my car just saying you can do this, you can go in there, and I tell members this because I know so many of them feel that way too and um, i've been there before, and so I can really empathize with you know what that feels like and. um, I. I'm just so grateful that I pushed myself to do that because the more events you go to you start to see more familiar faces it's like each time it just becomes a little bit easier. Um, And so that's just kind of how I encourage our members to you know get yourself out of your comfort zone and it's so funny because now, you know, six years later. If I go, let's say, a, you know, I go to a different organization's networking event, I don't have to sit in my car anymore to hype myself up. Mm. I, I've learned that skill, and I just don't think I would have ever had that without YWA. And so I, um, you know, but it it plays into the belonging piece a lot. And so as a board, we we really try to make sure that when we host these in-person events that, you know, we don't just gravitate towards our friends, that we are going and finding the woman in the crowd who maybe is by herself or looks nervous and we're trying to, you know, welcome her in as much as possible. Um, I think that just plays a huge part in that membership satisfaction from day one.
2: Yeah. The one thing I'll add there, Steve, is, um, as we think about our pillars of our organization so lead educate network and serve we as a board have had a lot of conversation on how do we bring these to life for our members you know one that lauren mentioned right now just you know when we before events we're all mingling and chatting and making sure that we're you know finding that person in the room that maybe isn't talking to someone or doesn't look engaged and making sure that we reach our hand out to have them feel welcome We've also been talking about how do we do intentional networking? And so how do we, instead of just getting in a room and letting people mingle for 30 minutes, how do we maybe have table topics or how do we have conversation starters that may lead to more meaningful connection and some of that vulnerability that I think does lead to a deeper sense of connection and belonging. And so I think that's something that we've been doing a little bit of and want to continue doing um, just to just to foster that personal and professional connection amongst our members.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the name of the organization, uh, you know, talks about the idea of young women being people who might not normally Feel as supported in some other areas of their lives. Uh, you know, certainly the workplace comes to mind for sure, but you know, other places too. And wanting to have a network of folks that they can build from and and build that confidence in. Um, but I think part of it is a, a growing change in what does uh, gender identity mean, and is it um, just young women, or how do you deal with the folks that are maybe not a hundred percent on board with what that definition is, and and how do they feel? included, not included? uh, How do you approach that problem as those words evolve and people's thoughts evolve?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're very well aware that, you know, the word women is in our organization's name. Uh, However, when we think about our membership base, you know, majority of them do identify as a woman, and this Mm -hmm. is sort of inclusive of anyone who identifies as a woman. Um, We also have spent a lot of time this past year, just thinking about how do we include those that might be gender non-conforming, um, non-binary, uh, and so you know we do have um, language that you know hopefully feels inclusive for members that may not fall into the binary camp of being either you know male or female, and feel, hoping that they feel welcome in our organization. Uh, so I think that it's you know our membership basis for anyone that identifies as a woman or maybe gender non-conforming, non-binary, um, and I think that. Because we are an organization rooted in, you know, just uplifting women, uh, there, there's a lot that I think we still want to learn and continue to learn here to make sure that we make the space of the Young Women's Alliance really feel inclusive for those that may be gender nonconforming. So I think we're still learning a lot here. Um, and as we have some members that might join that fall into this category, How can we learn from them? How can we learn about their stories Um, and just really incorporate that into what we do?
0: Yeah, I think it's great to acknowledge that learning in all of these spaces that we're talking about evolving support for people in their lives, again, in this sort of post-pandemic world where um, people may be more isolated from other supportive communities that they might have um, been able to connect with, but they don't have the same virtual network or scheduled programming or whatever. But there are other types of friend groups, there are other opportunities that are harder to do in a pandemic time. And as you learn about how you've adapted your programming to reach those, those places and think about those things, um, it does beg to me the question of hopefully someday, we're we're not reacting to a health crisis, but rather we're being more intentional about how we provide support networks for people that need those support networks in ways that are learned from what it meant to be separated in a pandemic. Uh, so, as I assume, there's maybe even more than one programming committee, but but as you think about programming or offerings or whatnot, does that thought evolve over time in your strategy of how are we? Um, thinking about what it means to be that network uh, for people in 2022, 2023, 2024? uh, How does that evolve now what we've learned?
1: Yeah, you know, your question is timely. We, as Bijal mentioned, we had a board retreat this last weekend, um, and one of uh, the majority of the time was spent talking about our programming and how we meet members where they are and I think we, we have a lot of room for, you know, try improvement, but just trying things differently. One of the great parts about YWA um, is we can try anything and if it doesn't work, it's okay. You know? Um, And so with our DEB strategic plan that Beachels put together, it really, um, it incorporated our pillars and so we, you know, we want DEB to be incorporated across all of our pillars and so we're thinking now more too about how does our program incorporate across our pillars of lead, educate, network, and serve. And so we're just, um, I would say that's going to be a big focus for the next board term. Uh, Just for reference, our board terms are June to June. So um, our president elect will be up here soon. And um, I definitely think it is a big focus for her because the other thing that we're just talking a lot about is we've grown, you know, we've almost doubled in size in seven months. And so, you know, how how do we make sure we engage our 600 members? It's obviously a lot, you know, not I guess it is easier to engage 300 Mm -hmm. versus 600. And, um, you know, I want all 600 members to truly feel like they have walked away from this organization with something, whether it be a new best friend or a career change, or they learned something. Um, so we just, we're trying to be really thoughtful about how we target those 600 new members and retain them. That's retention will be kind of one of our keywords this next year, I think, you know, any company can say it's one thing to attract new customers, but it's another to keep them. Um, And so that's a really big focus for us and programming plays into that a lot.
0: So, as you talk about retention, I think one of the native challenges of an organization that's focused on younger women is, at some point, you don't fit the definition of younger woman anymore. And how do people um, want those younger members to feel welcome? Like it is a group for them; they are part of it, even though they don't have a lot of, you know, career experience or education or whatever the thing may be that they um you know may get as they get to be a little bit older and 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 have those experiences in life um at what point do you kind of think about that mentorship and connection and, and whatnot, while still keeping a focus on that newer member that's coming in that probably is younger, that does fit that category? Uh, I mean, is there like a formal, gosh, we 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 love your participation, but at such and such an age, we'd, we'd like to keep the focus here and therefore ask you to move on? Or how do you handle, what does it mean to support young women?
1: You know, it's interesting, actually, I would say our membership age, group has shifted to be a little bit older. Um, I would say the majority of our members are probably late 20s, early 30s at this point. Um, but one thing we're trying to really think about is meeting people at different stages of their career. So does that mean we have different programming for you know the people who are more early career versus um, some of, you know I have some board members that are leading teams in their careers of 10, 15 people. And so, you know, something like um, executive coaching is going to be more desirable and applicable to them than perhaps, you know, someone who's two years out of college. And so I think, you know, what we have some work to do on is almost segmenting our membership base um, and making sure that we're offering them programs that meet them where they are and are of interest to them at that time. But in terms of, you know, what they can attend, or if, you know, they can be a chair or a board member, we have absolutely no restrictions or requirements around that. I would say half of my board is, you know, um seven, 10 years into their career, and then half are probably three to five. And I think it's a beautiful thing because we all can just learn from each other, um, you know, based on where we're at in our careers and, um, you know, the younger women really look up to the older, they're not that much older, but you know, the more experienced women um, to teach them about, you know, things like delegation and keeping your committee members and engaged. And so we have this, you know, kind of, cross-collaboration learning style that I think works really well because of all the different places people are in their lives.
0: Bijal, do you see that as a a component of belonging in that question mark of, you know, how do people self-define as a a young woman alliance member versus any other group that they may want to join in and feel connected to?
2: Yeah. I agree with Lauren that, you know, I feel like the term young is up to each member's discretion as to how they sure. interpret, because I don't, I don't want to define young for anyone. And so I feel like it's great that our organization is so open to, you know, any age person who wants to join and be a part of it. I do think that even just as a board, like Lauren mentioned, you know, with the 17 of us, there's there's variety in the needs that we have based on where we are in our careers and i think that we are realizing that the membership base maybe has changed to be a little bit older have a little bit more experience in their careers and so i do think over the next several months and as we think about moving into next year and what we want to provide our members it is kind of going back to what i said you know hopefully looking more into our quantitative and qualitative data where mm-hmm. i think some of this some of the stuff around Years of experience can be some of the quantitative data. But then if we ask open-ended questions around like, what are you looking for to support you in your career? What are some of the actionable, relevant things that would be helpful to support you that we as a leadership team can then go back and, and maybe decide if we want to segment programming um, or be be intentional about, you know, hey, this this program is, you know, anyone's welcome, but it's geared towards early professionals. Um, Or this program is geared towards uh, late professionals on their way to become executives. And so I do think it's important that we take a step back and make sure that of our now 600 members, you know, they're all going to need different things. And so how do we how do we kind of customize some of our programming a little bit more than we thought about in the past?
0: Right, I think that was one of the things I was so excited to talk to you both about when I um, was first approached by Fabiana about your work, that what does the future look like when it's, um, you know, maybe it, uh, a combination of levels of connection and service where some of it might be more virtual and segmented or even in-person and segmented or, you know, do you open geography up more when some of those programming opportunities don't require a, uh, a drive to get to them, but you still want people to kind of, feel part of a network? And those are all challenging questions. I think a lot of nonprofits are struggling with in service delivery as we move past this phase of having to be a part towards this place of well now people are more used to using these tools and uh, it opens options that were maybe different from how we did things before and the, you know how we address them is just so challenging uh, i i've been doing this podcast for a number of years and when i first suggested to people trying to record remotely back then through skype because there wasn't such a thing as zoom um, a lot of people are like oh, i don't i don't use that. I don't know how to use that. And now, you know, you talk about a video conference meeting and most people that have had any connection to a workplace or, you know, volunteer group or whatever have been on some kind of video conference in the last couple of years. It's no longer the barrier that it once was. And it does change your perspective about what you can do. And so has has geography been a part of that conversation at all? Do you talk about, you know, members in and around Austin, but, you know, is there a reason it needs to stay limited to Austin? Are there benefits for you to kind of keeping within that framework?
1: Um, Yeah, you know, we, it's a really interesting question. When I think about, you know, the future of YWA in five years or 10 years, you know, are we in other cities Um, or, you know just in the virtual environment, do we open it up to, you know, members who wanna be involved virtually are on Slack that live in Arizona. Um, I feel like at this time we, you know, are still really focused on just having it have a presence in Austin. Um, mostly because we, you know, still do offer a lot of that in-person stuff. Um, I think if we were to expand out one of our goals this year is to hire a staff member, um, There's so many benefits to all of us doing this as volunteers, but in order for us to scale and continue to grow, I think having that dedicated staff member will be crucial. And so once we have kind of those systems in place, I think we can explore what this looks like. You know, do we expand or do we just keep it as, you know, this kind of more smaller organization, local to Austin. Mm -hmm.
0: I don't have an answer
1: really for you, but it's an exciting thing to think about.
0: Well, I mean, Biesel, in your role, does that um, create a little bit of a conflict in terms of, you know, belonging? Does everybody belong, you know, if they're in St. Paul, Minnesota, or is it really like, no, there's benefits to Having some ability to connect locally and to know what it's like to have a a community based experience from, you know, if I talk about, you know, this store or that school or whatnot, you know what I'm talking about as opposed to trying to make it too global. Uh, So, how do you struggle with belonging? And have you run into that already? Have there been other people coming in saying, hey, how about if you expand to include whatever the other thing that they might want to include is?
2: Yeah, we, to Lauren's point, we don't have a a great answer here, but I think it's exciting to think about, you know, the possibility of scaling. We haven't had members come up to us think about, to to bring up that specific point of expanding to other geographies. I think I've been in Austin for about three years now, and even though it's a growing city and a lot of people are coming here, it kind of has this almost like small town feel Mm -hmm. to it a little bit. And so I think Austin itself has a really strong sense of community. And I feel like there's a lot of value to the Young Women's Alliance being in Austin as a part of that community. And the other thing, you know, Lauren started off the conversation talking about how, you know, we really want our members to become change makers, um, whether that's change makers within the Young Women's Alliance organization as they step into leadership roles or, you know, become change makers in the Austin community. Uh, we mentioned our pillars. One of our pillars is service. And so we do partner with organizations in the Austin community to give back. And so how can we, you know, keep the organization a lot uh, kind of connected to service organizations that are close to close to us in the community? And maybe I think Lauren, you might talk about um, some of the work that we do from a, a scholarship standpoint. And I think, what's been really valuable in that is that it's those scholarships are provided to recipients within our greater Austin community. Mm. And so it's nice to sort of have this tied back to the impact within YWA, but then also just right, right outside in our community in Austin.
0: Lauren, do you have thoughts about that?
1: I just echo Bijal's comments um, You know, we do do a lot of service in the community. We also, one thing um, we run is the Austin Under 40 Awards. And so, you know, that's really close to our hearts and really aligns with our mission of, you know, seeing these change makers do amazing things in our community. And I think there's something special about having kind of that small town community feel and um, just really, Being able to support each other on a local level. Um, You know, I often feel like change happens on a local level. And so we get to really be a part of that and uh, spearhead that here in Austin.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. It's just such a challenging thing to think about moving forward when it really wasn't very practical just two years ago to consider some of those challenges. And now that the practicality isn't the message focus for a lot of nonprofits out there thinking about what does our our community look like in, in 2023 or 2024 or what is our mission service area look like when that could be different if you chose to be, but it doesn't need to be as you think your strategy through. And I appreciate everything you're saying about um, keeping that that community definition together so that there is that glue that people can uh, connect with and and see we are starting to run a little low on time though and i know there's so much more that you're doing and that you want to be doing um, but are there any kind of final thoughts as we're uh, run, winding down here about what the future holds or how you think about moving forward you
1: know when i think about the future of our organization i just i really want to ensure and we've touched on this a lot, that our members are engaged and gain value from their membership um, to become change makers in the broader Austin community. We really see ourselves almost as, you know, a vessel to launching them to do really big things um, in, you know, either their professional lives or personal lives, just whatever fills their cup. Um, And so that's what has kept me motivated in the organization for many of years. And I think we're all just really excited about where we're at right now and looking forward to seeing where we go.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think from a diversity, equity and belonging standpoint, as I mentioned, it's the first year that I've been in this role and it's been over the last six to seven months, just really exciting to see the organization embrace our broader and deeper commitment to the DEB work across our organization. So for me, you know, when I think about this three year strategic plan, you know, we have different phases of the plan where you know, we're kind of um, in this phase of discovery and moving towards uh, delivering on our commitments and then continuing to evolve as we grow as an organization over the next you know, one to three years. And so I'm really excited to see, our diversity, equity and belonging commitment come to life through our various roles across the organization. As Lauren mentioned, our entire board and our leadership team is all volunteers. And so Mm -hmm. it's really great to see that, you know, I want to make sure that they feel empowered and have an understanding around our diversity, equity and belonging lens and our commitment so that they can bring it to life in the work that they're providing for our YWA members. So Just, I think, more work to come, but really excited to see how we can bring this to life.
0: Well, and so much for all of us in the nonprofit sector to learn about, you know, what does it mean to um, build community and build programming and whatnot when the tools are changing, the ideas of what these things mean are changing, and to be ready to embrace that and talk to members. I I love the constant refrain of uh, let's get some more data, qualitative, quantitative, all of it is good, but let's learn from people about how this time has changed what they think uh, is happening, what those needs are, um, and share it. So I'm really grateful that you took the time to come on today to share what you're learning with a broader audience of people that are also struggling with some of these same questions you are um, and get an opportunity to to hear your perspective. So um, I just want to say thank you very much to uh, both of you, to uh, Lauren Kaufman is the president of the uh, Young Women's Alliance, and uh, Bijal Patel is the uh, vice president of diversity, equity, and belonging of Young Women's Alliance. Both of you, thanks so much for taking the time today.
1: Thank you,
2: Steve. Yeah, thank you, Steve.